boils and ghouls, and welcome to another issue of Crypt Speakers, a Tales from the Crypt podcast. I'm your co-host, Jay Tyler, and with me is the always insightful... Sassy Korea, hello. Hello, good to be talking to you about uh, horror things once again, the creepies and the crawlies and all that. Um, And we've got a doozy of an episode to talk about today, Um, and we're going to try to unpack it together. So let's get into it. Um, so we have we talked before in doing the show about how the show is really totally all over the place because it goes from sort of director to director, writer to writer. Um, and I think this case is a huge example of that. Of we have a director, Howard Deutch, D E U T C H. I was never able to quite figure out what his how his last name is pronounced. Yeah. Um, and up to this point, all the directors we've had, it's it, none of them are like super in the pocket horror dudes, mm-hmm. but they have at least one. They have like something in there that kind of suggests these guys could do horror if they wanted to. You know, you have um, Donner with The Omen. You mm-hmm. have um, Zemeckis doing a couple after the show, but... But like, as we said, like in Roger Rabbit, having a couple signs of like having that mean streak in him, um, Walter Hill, who directed the first episode, didn't, didn't really direct any horror movies, but he is one of the primary minds behind the Alien series. So um, that kind of puts him in that category, if not necessarily as an auteur. Um, Howard Dooch is a, um, he's a John Hughes guy. In fact... When I was doing my research, I was like, oh, John Hughes didn't direct Pretty in Pink. This guy did. For some reason, I like me. Too. I know John Hughes yeah. did not direct a lot of his movies, but Pretty in Pink was one of those that I figured. I think he directed that one, at least. He wrote a ton of movies and then directed like 10. Yeah. If you would ask uh, me who directed Pretty in Pink, I would have said John Hughes. Right. Because it, it just feels like 16 Candles Redux. Like, that's the it, thing yeah, about it. Yeah, 100%. It, it it's a movie that like it's fine like if you like that kind of movie it, it totally is in that pocket but it doesn't feel like anything that's outside like there's no like individual stamp on it outside of that um so and well it also it looks like he was a relatively up and comer at this point right so yeah he had done he had done a couple of movies for john hughes and so yeah he was definitely like a hot commodity he, he was on the rise um on the set of his second film, he met Leah Thompson, which is significant both because they they uh, soon after that film get married, and they're still married oh, to this day. That explains a lot. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does explain a lot. Uh, he um, so uh, some kind of wonderful. They met on the set of some kind of wonderful, and they got married the same year that this episode only send deep comes out. Um, and we'll get into Leah Thompson as we get into this episode, because I feel like there's a lot to unpack there as we get into the story. I didn't um, wanna... They are, I, oh, I will ahead. make a side note, they are still married to today. So, you know, good on them. Yeah, definitely out, good for them. Work. I was wondering yeah. why just kind of perusing through his IMDb, I was like, oh, wow, this guy was heavily involved in Caroline in the City. That mm-hmm. explains why. Yep. That yeah, he yeah, he was a uh, directed multiple episodes of that. He um 
later on, you know, so he he kind of kind of trundles along in the nineties and into the early two thousand I guess into like late two thousands. Um his last feature film that he directed up until now was the Jason Biggs Dane Cook starring romantic comedy My Best Friend's Girl. Uh, in 2008, which is maybe the most time capsule thing I can ever think of, of Jason <laughs> yes. Biggs, Dan Cook, Kate Upton, romantic comedy. I think it's Kate Hudson. Role. Uh-huh. Oh, I say Kate Upton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got my Kates mixed up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Kate Hudson. Yeah. So very weird, you know, uh, career, especially for a weird guy to be on this. He directed not one, but two. <laughs> He directed both Grumpier Old Men and The Odd Couple too. So he was the master of late '90s uh, Lemon and Mathau uh, reunion sequels. <laughs> Definitely yeah. found a pocket there for a second. Um, he did go on. So as far as like his horror bona fides, later on he did re- uh, direct three episodes of American Horror Story. Um, all part of my second favorite. Oh wait, no. He he directed um, two episodes in my second favorite season and uh, one and one of my lesser like my favorite season is Freak Show mm-hmm. or my sorry my second favorite season is Freak Show and he recorded or directed oh I'm all over the place today he directed two episodes in Freak Show and one episode in Coven so you know I I, I have enjoyed his works in other settings I'll, I'll say that for. Sure. One interesting uh, p- piece of trivia about him is that he directed the pilot episode of Melrose Place, oh. which is kind of a landmark type of thing to have on, in your resume. Sure. Yeah that 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 is that is and that that is a great resume builder for sure. Um, I think he he yeah he did a ton of TV throughout like the '90s and then definitely in like the t- late 2000 2010s. Uh, apparently, so I think this this has been announced since I was last doing my research. He does. He's supposed to have a movie coming. They just announced a new movie he's directing called The Miller Boys, but it seems very scant information about that one. So, yeah. Interesting dude to make a Tales from the Crypt episode. I think he is. He is. Um, I looked at sort of who's coming up in the rest of the season, the oddest director to work, I think in this first season, like there's no real, cause like the first, I guess the first three that we've talked about were all producers on the show. So it makes sense that they'd want to take an at bat. Um, and then the two that we're going to be talking about at like the two next episodes are both from people who had worked a lot in horror. Um, but this is the one that's kind of like, I mean, he has the Leah Thompson connection, which might connect him to Zemeckis. And so they just, he kind of knew all this was going on and wanted to get in on it. But um, just not looking at, yeah, he made Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful, The Great Outdoors, and then this episode. So, And yeah. any other thoughts on the writer? The writer, I believe, is... The um, it's one of the writers that we've had before. Yeah, it's Fred Decker. It's Fred. From, oh yeah, it's yeah. good old RoboCop three himself, Fred Decker. Yes, um, wrote this one. Um, which he wrote our last episode, correct? Or did he, he wrote all through the house? Oh, he wrote all through the house. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good episode. Yeah. Um, I I will say that 
all through the house is a good episode of Tales from the Crypt. Um, yeah. I would agree. Um, and so, and then he wrote this episode as well. Yeah, I would um, say it's a pretty good track record. Well, we'll get into the episode later. Sure, let's get into the episode. So, we get we we uh, get into Crypt Keeper is sort of in in his his crypt, and he pulls a mirror mirror routine, looking at the mirror, and the mirror shatters because he is so very ugly. Uh, that he's so ugly that the the uh, mirror shatters. <laughs> I there was a funny trivia that's on the um, tales uh, wiki that when the, the you know traditionally if you uh, if you shatter a mirror you get seven years bad luck, and there's seven seasons of tales from the crypt. Oh, interesting. So, so calling their shot here from the very beginning, um, and then we get into the episode proper. And we're introduced to two sex workers, Sylvia Vane, um, who is uh, Leah Thompson, and Raven, who, who um, is an actress named, I meant to write this down. Uh, she's not in this episode very much, but she kind of bookends it. Um, Pamela DePella. Um, and immediately we're introduced to the fact that our main character's name, her last name is Vane. So that will become significant. And her friend Raven is black. So not especially subtle writing from Decker here. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, we, we will talk about this. We have not talked about this before now. Um, but from the moment Leah Thompson, uh, Leah Thompson and Raven are talking and we're introduced to the fact that they're both sex workers and that they're kind of, you know, trying to look for business. And Leah Thompson opens her mouth and has the weirdest, like, Bronxy accent I've ever heard an actress try to put on. And it immediately, like, I am just immediately like, what is this voice you're doing? Why are you pushing this so hard? I'm going to make, I, I, I'm going to make a true or false statement for you to, to verify or deny. I have a... Supposition, I think Leah Thompson in this episode is maybe the most disastrous performance on Tales from the Crypt we have seen yet. <laughs> True or false? Uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't like the accent, uh, but I didn't think she was bad in this. I thought she was sure. fine in this. I want to say, I love Leah Thompson. Especially, I love this era of Leah Thompson. She's so good in Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. Like, basically playing a dual role. She's so good in that. And then a year after this is when, uh, or I guess the same year is when Back to the Future 2 will come out. And she's extra good. Like, in her, like, one real showcase scene in that movie, she's so good in that. Like, just playing this, like, broken version of Lorraine in that, I think, is really... Um, spot on and perfect for that. So I don't, I don't think she's a bad actress, especially in this era. But there's just something I like. Everything about her, we talked a lot about how the show is super heightened. Um, but everything about her, every movement, just comes off as extremely false. And I think that there are some things that are leading to that that we'll talk about later as we get into this episode. But it, I did, it really pulled me out of being able to like 
submit myself, like suspend myself into the reality that they're trying to present here. Uh, but, but everyone has going to have their own opinions on that, I guess. Yeah, totally. I don't know. Um, I guess maybe because I like her, I was just like, oh, okay, it's Leah Thompson. I like her. She's just, she's just going big. She's doing this weird, like accent thing. I guess she's kind of trying to go for a pretty woman type of thing. Right, so this predates Pretty Woman because that was the exact same like oh, touchstone wow, that yeah. I I had too. Where I was like, oh, this is sort of a like dark, you know, this is based on an old EC comic story. But like the exact touchstone where I was like, oh, this is kind of like dark Pretty Woman in a weird way. Like it's a comment on that movie and like that those tropes in that movie. Not that like Pretty Woman like created the like prostitute with a heart of gold like trope or anything, but. I feel like this definitely, like, is playing in that trope and, like, playing against it pretty hard. Yeah, I would have assumed that, especially there's a montage that, to me, felt Mm -hmm. really much pulled from Pretty Woman. But I guess maybe it was just in the zeitgeist. Right. I think, yeah, I think both of those are just pulling from very uh, Kind of in the way that in the 90s we had two asteroids coming to Earth and two volcano movies. Like, in the mm-hmm. same year, maybe maybe something like right. this kind of happened. Sure. No, I, I think, I, th- I don't, again, they're pulling from an original story from the comics, which I've not read, so I don't know how close it is to that. But yeah, they're they're pulling, uh, there's very similar tones to those, even though they break in very different directions on how the stories go. So, um, Sylvia and Raven are kind of talking, they're approached by this um, pimp, there's no real other word for it yeah there's this guy who like comes up and like is like saying hey clearly you girls need a manager to get you business i can help you out and they both tell him to kiss off and like basically tell him to go away and sylvia tells raven that there's this random rich guy that they see across the street she says i'm gonna get that guy's attention is sort of her proclamation this like hunky rich dude who's getting out of a limousine she says that's gonna be my mark that's gonna be the guy i'm gonna get with well she also had a really great line where uh she says about the girl that he's walking in with what does she got that i ain't got Mm -hmm. right like that that's her whole thing is like so you know her her whole identity is wrapped up in that she's really good looking She's got all this within her mind charm, but like the only, like the, it's just the stat, like the only reason why she's on the outside looking in is that for like status reasons. So there's definitely like a very like class commentary that's going on here. Yeah. That that's what's separating her from that reality. And yeah, like all she's, all she's missing is status. So she needs to figure out a way to get close to this guy. So she goes back to the pimp that was interrupting them before and then robs him at gunpoint, basically saying, like, give me all your pimp jewelry. I'm going to take that. Uh, and, and her plan is to sell that. As she's doing that, there's a struggle and she shoots him dead. Um, so we have our initial, like, now that I'm thinking about it, like, Decker, this, this is very similar to um, All Through the House, where Decker has this sort of escalating circumstances that sort of crescendo as the story goes on. But the first major act is that she shoots this guy in an alley to try to get his jewelry. Um, and then she goes 
to this pawn shop that's filled with like sort of uh, stereotypical tribal artifacts throughout the shop. And, and between Raven and a, you know, the sort of stereotypical black pimp and now all this like artifacts, I'm like, this is not, this is not an episode of the show that is really dealing with race by any, like, this is not an episode about race. This is an episode about status and class and about like this woman trying to like elevate herself through stolen money, basically. But there's just a lot of stuff on the margins. Like later she, she uses the word voodoo. There's just all this, there's, there's an element that like evokes certain racial stereotypes. They made some bad choices. They made some bad choices on the margins for sure. Um, and so she's, she's kind of coming in, checking out the shop while she's there. Um, She's 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 attempting to sell the jewelry, and while she's and while the guy's like looking over her stuff, an old woman runs into the shop, knocks all the shit off of the pawnbroker's counter, and then hobbles back out. <laughs> like she just kind of ransacks the place and then leaves, uh, which I thought was really funny. That like the clearly this woman's like upset with the pawnbroker, but like she forces her way in, knocks all the stuff off, and then doesn't like expect anything of him. Just gets mad at him and goes away. Yeah, it was like um, a very sort of convenient. Right, it's, coming in gets mad and then just leaves. I did just leaves. Did what I came yeah. to do. I did. I did my foreshadowing, and now I'm gonna go. Uh, and then the so after this whole thing, the pawnbroker, uh, a little shaken by this whole ordeal, turns to Sylvia and says he's not gonna buy any of the stuff because it's hot. He knows it's stolen. He knows something's up with the way it came in. He's refusing to leave, to buy it from her. I appreciate so, you knowing what hot means because in the context, I couldn't tell if it meant fake or stolen. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to assume it's just bad. <laughs> yeah. Because well, he just, because he doesn't like ever define what, what hot means. He just keeps like fighting different. Like, yeah, exactly. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to assume it doesn't mean like what it means today. Right, and right. It's yeah, not, no, I can't just, Google what does hot mean because it's right. not gonna do me any good. Yeah, no, it's it's um, yeah. In in, in the pawnbroking world, it's basically one of those things where like if you're trying to fence something and the broker can tell it's hot, um, unless they're willing to engage in criminal activity, they're not gonna want to touch it. Um, so Sylvia's frustrated. She's about to leave. And then he off, but as she's leaving, he offers her a different opportunity says he'll give her the money. He'll give her $10,000 in exchange for her beauty. And and he and he, he's very specific that it's his her beauty that he wants. Mm-hmm. And then and then we get sort of like a a cut to her basically her what she's hearing is that um he's going to make a mold of her face, her beauty, and then she's going to get the $10,000 and she has uh, four months to pay it back to him. To so she's like, sure, why not? You know, her whole scheme here is that she's gonna get this money, get gussied up, and then I guess she's thinking like, 
well, this guy is making a crazy argument here. I don't need to like pay to like, clearly he's lost his mind. He just wants to make a mold in my face. I don't care if I get this mold back. I'll just take this money, get dolled up. And then I'm able to meet this guy and, you know, make him my sugar daddy. And then I'll be good. Is sort of her plan. Uh, and so she agrees. So he makes the mold of her face. They leave. And then, yeah, we go into, we are just trying to afford this, like, this is definitely where you see the, the John Hughes come through. You have this little, like, her getting fancy and buying expensive things montage. One thing that I thought was really funny about this montage is that she buys a ton of magazines. And I mean a ton. And starts, like, circling stuff and, like, check marks and, like, kind of almost, like, building a little, like, mood board. And the thing, the thing about that is that I you know, have been a woman for several decades now in sure. in this earth and, and I've never seen anybody do that. Like, actually do that, like actually like go through mag like no. like go through magazines, like fashion magazines the way that children do for around Christmas to circle what they want from the toy especially, catalog. Especially especially they're expensive. Right. So, like, yeah. I mean, she blew a good portion of her $10,000 buying all those magazines. How, how like, like you think she spent, like, $500 <laughs> on fashion magazines? Uh, I don't know. Maybe close to yeah. that. Because, like, seriously, yeah. Vogue and all of those other ones are, like, almost the size of a an old phone book. I mean, those they're are... They're gigantic, yeah. Because yeah. they're, like, half, like, perfume ads. Yes. And so, yeah, it... I just don't, I have never met anybody that would go through a magazine like the the way that uh, Sylvia was. And it, right. it just like really made me laugh. Yeah. Well, I, I think it also, you know, we're also viewing this through the eyes of people who have the internet. So yeah, you, you can hop on your Pinterest and whatnot to look at things if you really want to figure out what's the hottest in fashion, which in this case seems to be a mini skirt leather dress with like velvet opera gloves is the look that she ends up going with. Uh, I, I did skip over one thing. So before we, so after she like gets them all and leaves with the money, we do stay with the pawn broker shortly and we hear him like doing some kind of sinister chanting. Again, this is getting into some of the, the racial, the questionable racial elements of this. And then he scans over and he's talking to his love. And then we scan over and we reveal that he's got a skeleton in his back room. So that's that's fun. That's a fun <laughs> thing to have. Um, well, and also the skeleton was dressed in a wedding gown. Yes. Yeah. So he has he has a a skeleton in his uh back room dressed up like a bride and he's telling her that she he she'll be back soon. Um so Sylvia having gotten her very high class leather dress goes um finds out where her th- this mystery rich man that she had decided was going to be hers is goes to um this some kind of event or party that he's throwing just shows up and is about to get kicked out when the guy says no she can stay um just and sort I of just... like gestures just want to cut in and say that I loved the vibe in this whole sequence. 
Mm-hmm. The music absolutely slaps. Yeah, it's it is it is the uh, late eighties Coke party that you you want to be at. <laughs> yeah, it's, honestly, I was really into that whole scene. Yeah, uh, not literal scene, but the right the 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 vibe that this guy was was yes. throwing down. Yeah, well, and and, and it's clear like why like. They definitely do make it seem attractive and you can understand why Sylvia would want to be part of that world after coming from being in the streets, you know, like it, it definitely sells it to you, the audience member. Yeah, I really found that entire scene to be the high point of the episode for me because it was really fast paced. Um, Yeah. And like I said, I love the music. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just it that whole thing was a mood. Uh, well, and this and, and, and this portion is definitely like going back to like through the comparison. Like, this is when it, the the episode is the most pretty women, pretty woman esque. Mm-hmm. Is that you know she has her her makeover montage, and then she goes to this party, and and she's just for for whatever opinions I might have about Leah Thompson in this episode, um, she she is putting on the charm in this circumstance, and is clearly like enjoying this party. Um, and at this party, she meets, she, she finds, she gets the attention. I love, so her mark, as far as I know, she does not know who this guy is, but she just saw him and said, I'm going to get that guy. She, um, sees him at the party with another woman and he just ditches that lady. Like the moment he sees Leah Thompson, the moment he sees Sylvia, he's like, sorry, gal, I got to go another hot lady just walked in and you are old news to me. Bye. I do like, uh, Sylvia has a really cool line where she says, well, don't you think Miss Clarell there is going to think you're rude that you're talking to me instead of her. And I thought that was like, Oh, that's a, it's a cute quip. Right. <laughs> well, and then that, uh, so my favorite little, like they have this, like, this is when like like that crypt keeper style like dialogue starts <laughs> yes. to like edge into this episode. It's like they have this whole like tete a tete like conversation. And my favorite exchange is so after she he says that, like he's like, Hey, what about this other lady? He's like, Oh, well, I saw you and something came up. To which she says, That sounds like a cheap sexual innuendo. He says, I was it was supposed to sound like an expensive one. <laughs> which is just a hilariously clumsy exchange from the two of them of just being like yeah, we're going to flirt as hard as we can at each other. Yeah. And then she uh, says, we haven't even met yet. And that's when they uh, they also have another little fun exchange where she says, she says I'm Sylvia Vane, B-A-N-E, like a weather vane. And then he mm-hmm. says, I'm John Price, as in everyone's ha- everyone has one. Right. He Ted DiBiase's her pretty hard. And like, yeah, it's like, just like, clearly, like this guy, <laughs> this guy's whole gimmick his whole thing is i am extremely rich and i know that's attractive so i'm going to play that card over and over again as much as i can um so they they hit it off and they like are sort of strolling around you know they're strolling out of the party we cut to black and then we get four months later so i do want to deckers mention one more thing about that exchange though sure is that after they kind of introduce themselves and they exchange names, she mm-hmm. slaps him and walks away. Like yeah. slaps him. And then he's mm-hmm. like, Hey, you can't, you can't just slap the host and then just leave. 
And right. <laughs> that whole thing, I was just like, she is trying so hard. Uh, so then she says, like, I'm, I'm playing hard to get. And I'm like, mm. it's more like she's trying really hard to play hard to get. Right. It, it's that thing again of, like, sh- this is the society and the style of, like, life that she was, like, ascribing to. Like, she was trying to get to this point. But she doesn't, like, really know the, like, sort of <laughs> barriers that are expected of her. So she kind of just pushes those boundaries. And, like, yeah, like, she's... I think she's also testing. I was like, how much can I actually get away with with this, yeah. this, this dude? How enamored is he with me? I mean, it worked though. Right. Oh, of course it does. I mean, look at her. She's Leah Thompson, <laughs> 1989. She's I beautiful. don't know if I would have continued the conversation after the slap, but. After someone slapped you. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a deal breaker. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, it, it worked for her. Yeah. I just want to say we so, don't recommend this as a dating tactic. Right. Yes. No. Um, for all those who, you know, Ceci and I are both happily married. But for those of you who not are still in the dating scene. Not to each <laughs> other. No, no. Not to each other. Two separate people. That would be wild if the spouse that you had referred to in the last couple episodes were uh, me. <laughs> yeah. No. We are both married to our separate partners. Um, but for those of you who are still in the dating scene. Uh, slapping is a no-go. Don't, don't slap someone you're trying to get the attention of. Um, but yeah, we cut to this four months later because it's one of those things where like, because it's so highlighted earlier in the episode, it's like, okay, so now we're going to cut over the whole relationship. We're, we're going to cut to the ramifications of her refusing to like take the, uh, pawn that she made seriously. We're just going to cut directly to that. So, um, Ron, Ronnie is talking to Sylvia. They're they're living together now. And I don't. Does he say something to her in that initial exchange about her being the woman of his dreams? Because he mentions it here, and I I couldn't remember if he had said yeah, something about he that. Does in their say, he meeting. says something like, "You were right. You were the woman of my dreams." <laughs> and I was like, "Did y'all have that conversation? I don't remember." But, oh yeah, but because clearly, after she slaps him, that's right. when she says like. Right, that's right. She yeah. makes a cheap joke there about yeah. like, yeah, like you knew about, from the sure moment I walked dreaming. in, I'm the girl of your dreams. That's right. what she says. Yeah. Right. So he's he's going off to do, or or no? So he's talking to her, and she's kind of half listening because she's starting to notice she's gotten some wrinkles coming in on her face. Um, she's kind of checking herself out while she's talking to her, and then that cuts to. One of the weirdest sex scenes I've ever seen of Ronnie. Like, so she's laying on her side. Ronnie is behind, like spooning behind her. And like, just he's like running his hands, like over her shoulders, like giving her like a, like really half hearted massage and just moaning. Like he's going to town while she's just checking herself out in the mirror, looking concerned. Like, so this guy's, really having a good time and she's apparently having no effect from it. Yeah, it uh, kind of reminds me of the George Costanza episode where he tries to have sex while eating a sandwich and watching TV. Right. No, it's very <laughs> much like she's she is not interested in any kind of coitus with this guy. She is just concerned about her her uh crow's feet that she's got coming in. This is one of the things I I I wanted to say. So, um Leah Thompson in this episode, playing Sylvia. Ronnie Price is played by this guy, Brett Cullen. 
And apparently the two of them were friends. Hmm. And so Leah Thompson said that all there's not a whole lot of them being romantic with each other. It, it kind of gets through that. Like, it's not especially interested in, like, establishing or, like, really selling them as, like, a couple, per se. Um, but, she's, but she said between Brett being a friend of hers and being directed by her husband in these scenes... Uh, she had a hard time with it, which I don't really, that doesn't really read for me. A lot, apparently a lot of her dialogue had to be ADR because she was having a hard time focusing, um, which doesn't yeah, read it, especially. If that's the case, she did a great job because I could She did, yeah, she, 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 she kind of got over those yips pretty well, except for this moment. Like, this is the one moment where I'm like, what is going on here? But I think it's also just the framing of the moment. Um, just very awkward. Um, so after that, um, Ronnie's leaving for vaguely defined work stuff. Um, kind of says he's not sure how long he's going to be gone. I have business. Um, yeah, he's got. I've got <laughs> you know important businessman things yep. to do. So he's leaving town. We cut to a doctor's office where Sylvia is wearing a veil as if she is a mourning widow. <laughs> um, and her doctor informs her that she doesn't have any medical condition. Like, like as far as he can tell, she doesn't have any medical conditions or concerns that really like needs to be investigated. Um, and he does ask her if she's had any cosmetic surgery done because that can lead to the condition that she has. And then we're revealed that she's looking like a grandma now. And she says that she's 21 years old. Right. She, yeah, she, she does establish here because you, it, it's it, this, you know, if we're talking about like scenes that remind me of other things, this definitely like reminded me of the scene in the Santa Claus where Tim Allen is going to the off to the doctor and is like, and he's like, well, you're, you're, healthy like there's no like you're not having any like repercussions and he's like but look at my santa body she's like look at my old lady body i have i should not be this old and wrinkled and raisiny um and from here on (laughs) anybody who who sees her acts like they've never seen an old person in their life and they're horrified by this like horrifically old person uh, through, throughout the rest of every time she like reveals her elderly self to anybody, they recoil in horror at the sight of her being extremely old. Yeah, I'm not comfortable uh, with how the, sh- I guess I was going to say the show, but really the story, since it's based on a comic, how mm-hmm. this story tends to treat youth and beauty as interchangeable because excuse me but you can be an older lady and still be beautiful like yeah i mean i think that that's absolutely true um have you seen dolly parton have you seen (laughs) uh i don't know um helen Mirren? i mean come on sure a meryl streep if you will yeah like like I think that there's there there's a lot. It's it's weird because like I don't like because yeah it, it it is I think it's almost certainly that she's supposed to look old like that that's almost like absolutely the sort of yeah idea here it's, it's not that she's like her face isn't melting off or anything she yeah. just looks much older than she should be and the doctor does say that she seems to be aging at a rapid pace right. Right, so something's going on, but he can't, like, there's no medical condition that he can tell. So. Reverse Benjamin he, Button. 
Yeah, she's 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 got Jack disease all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. And she and she has to get that taken care of. So so he he's kind of talking to her and he's like, you know, has anything strange happened in the last ten months or so? And she's like, Oh snap! I sold my beauty to that guy for ten thousand dollars, and I thought that was a goof. I so I thought that was actually really interesting that her gut instinct would be first of all to be like huh i don't know why what what's what is it with these lines around my eyes i don't understand and then like she goes to the doctor and it's like how could you not remember that (laughs) you talked to some creepy old guy who was like i want your beauty because it'd be one thing if it was just like a random thing she did one time but like it was the thing that she did directly before her life turned around it's the thing that got her off the street so it's not like it was just a it wasn't like i did have that weird breakfast that one day it was like a significant moment in her life and i also feel like Um, when someone says you have four months to do xyz i'm gonna remember right well i mean i think potentially i think she's just so mystified like she i mean in her defense if i was in a similar situation in no way would I think this guy's on the level. He's doing actual real voodoo magic. I would be like, this guy's weird, but whatever. I'll take his money and run because it's, a, it's a, like, you know, the way pawn shops work is that you give them their thing. They agree to hold on to it for a certain amount of days. And if you bring them the money, like if you bring them the money that they gave you back with interest before the deadline, you get your item back. So I th- but I'm th- sure she's thinking, well, I don't need the mold because that's all she thinks it is. So mm-hmm. she's like, I'll just let go of that. Don't worry about that and just go on with my life. And I just get $10,000 for nothing. So, yeah. So she has a suddenly realization. She's like, oh, probably a creepy guy at the pawn store. I'm going to go back to him. Um, and she comes in, shows him her fa- her face. He recoils. And she says, I need, I, you know, I need it back. I need my beauty back. Uh, give it to me. And he's like, oh, sorry. You're literally a day late. If you had come here yesterday with $10,000, I would have given you your beauty back. But them's the breaks. And so she, he, she said, she threatens him with a gun and basically says, I need to know how much, how much money is it going to take for you to give me my beauty back? Or wait, I can't remember if he like makes her the offer and then she pulls the gun. Or if he if she pulls the gun and that forces him to make the offer, but he's I, essentially so she, under pressure and he's like, "Sure, give me a hundred k." Right? Yeah, exactly. I think that's right. I think he, yeah, she pulls the gun. He's like, "Um, give me a hundred thousand dollars. I'll give you your beauty back." And uh, before she can do anything else, uh, a policeman walks in. He's a friend of the pawnbroker and like just chatting with him. And so she runs. She puts her gun away and runs off, trying to figure out how she's going to get the money. Um, so she goes back to her boy toys apartment, is ripping it apart, getting all the jewels and doing all that. Um, and then he comes back home from his important businessman business and he does not recognize her because she is all old and gross. He's like, who is this grandma robbing my apartment? I do not recognize her and starts to call the cops on her because he does not recognize his girlfriend, even though she like says it's me lover. Like he's like, she's like explicitly saying it's, it's me, the person you love. And he's like, "Mm, doesn't, doesn't ring a bell. I'm going to call the police now. 
I do like there's a little uh, moment there where she's looking at a picture of her when she had her quote-unquote beauty. And it's mm-hmm. like she moves it just slightly and then sees her new reflection. So I thought right. that was a nice little touch of like old yeah. versus new type of thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's an, a neat little shot. Yeah. It, it's clever little um, picture play there. Um so so she's calling he's calling the cops and she pulls out her her gun again and just Ed 209's this dude like just shoots him, I think I kind of she shoots him like nine times yeah. like just really obliterates him which uh, I'm not I don't like to like poke like you know plot holes into things or anything but this is the one point where I'm just like if you explain to this guy like if you just like expressly say I'm Sylvia Vane your girlfriend I sold my beauty to this pawn shop broker. I guess you would have to say I was a prostitute beforehand. And I don't know if she's trying to keep that low key, but for whatever reason, she decides to go to murder rather than trying to get the the help from this person. Even, who... even if she didn't say that, you know, the whole beauty thing, because it could be kind of unbelievable, kind of like had to be there to believe it type of thing. She could say, right. hey, I had a horrible accident and I need $100,000 to reverse right. it and get Whatever my face back. I have this condition, $100,000 to fix it. Yeah. That's chump change to you, I'm sure. I guess you could and say that maybe in the moment it's kind of like a fight or flight reflex. Right. She's just freaked out. Like, she's just trying to get this fixed as quickly as she can. Um. Yeah, no, I, 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 similar to the poor decision making at the end of all through the house. It's one of those things where like she's just elevate, like she, adrenaline's just pumping. She's trying to fix this, and you know she's shot someone for money before, so she's not above it. Um, so she runs back to the pawnbroker with all this jewelry, planning to give him the jewelry to have him, you know, basically having enough valuables to give him back the money that he needed for the, uh, to get her back her beauty. And she runs in and the skeleton that's in the back of this guy's shop. Now I think is it, it's supposed to look like her, right? I didn't, I didn't read it as it looked like her. I just read it as it's just young again. Yeah. It's just a young, right. It's a, it's a fairly quick shot that we get of, of the woman, but yeah, like, you know, it's just a pretty young brunette woman is is where where the skeleton was before. And wearing the same it, dress. And wearing the same dress. So it, so it's it's the same person. And the pawnbroker comes in and he explains that, it, that, you know, this woman was either was his wife or was supposed to be his wife. She died. And now he has the ceremony that he does to make her beautiful. She doesn't come back to life. She just gets to be pretty again until she decomposing so he keeps he keeps doing this scheme over and over again to like take young women's beauty give it to his dead wife so she'll be pretty again and then have to do it all over again once the, and the age like deteriorates it's a weird thing to do as well because it's not like he's bringing it's her a back very to weird life. thing to do it's, it's not bringing her back to life it's it, like he's just keeping her back there like yeah it's clearly like it's like all right like that's a a very strange thing to want to keep a hold of. Um, it'd be one thing if you were able to bring her back to life through someone else's beauty, but you just want this to be a pretty corpse. 
basically. Yeah, he could just, um, has he not heard of, like, embalming or, mm-hmm. I don't know, taxidermy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah get his wife stopped. I, I mean, he's doing much worse. Right, right, I guess this is true. Um, so, so Sylvia's not having it, demands to have her beauty back, and he tells her, hey, you know what, you ended up, you met your end of the bargain, I could absolutely do that, but, oh, geez, have you looked at the paper? Turns out the police know you killed Ronnie. They know that you killed your boyfriend and they know what you look like, but Hey, you don't look like you now. And so if you leave here, like if you, if you leave here back with your beauty, you're going to be arrested. But if you leave here as a gross old lady, Hey, you're good. Like they they won't be able to find you. So it's this choice she has to make of like, is she going to regain her beauty and and almost nest like absolutely be arrested and tried for murder, or she's just going to stay ugly but get to remain free. For Which a I, second, I, I will say I think is a Go ahead. You would take the second one. Well Yeah, I really thought that she was going to choose to get her beauty back, even if that meant that she would yeah. go to jail and potentially, yeah, be executed. Sure. Nope, yeah, she, you know, even though she has the name Vane, she, and, and this, so it's funny because, like, they basically, like, explain this to her, and then she's in the back when the policeman comes back and re-explains it, like, saying, like, yep, we, more or less explain, like, why they know it's her, because it was her gun, had her prints on it, it had been used in a previous, so it's not just that murder, it's also the murder of the pimp at the beginning yeah. that should be tried for, because it's her gun, has her prints on it, it's, you know, it's an open and shut case, like, if she becomes young again, she is almost assuredly going to go to prison and potentially be killed in prison for the murder. So she realizes that she can't go to jail, decides to be her older self, and then uh, leaves. So she, as she's leaving, she cradles the, the mold that he had made of her face and is walking through the streets and we have this very dramatic, sad music playing. And the episode ends as she bumps into her old friend, Raven, who once again, not only doesn't recognize her, but is extremely rude to her. <laughs> like, bumps into her, her bus drops and shatters. And as we're like having this like pan up looking over the city, we see Sylvia like crumpled on the ground crying as she collects the shattered remains of what her beauty was before. Yeah, and I, I want to say that Raven almost, I think, calls her, like, old hag or, like, disgusting. Or, like, she essentially, like, insults her for simply just running into her. Yeah. No, she's exceptionally rude to her. Yeah, which is really weird because it, it seems like this story is really trying hard to say that, you know, being old is, like completely undesirable and just makes you this like pariah right everyone hates the old everyone knows this yeah, and that is... if, you, if you if you run into an old person on the street you can be exceptionally rude to them and no one around you will be like why are you doing that so yeah it it's a fate worse than death to be an old wrinkly person um and so she is defeated crying i feel like this this episode more than any of that we've watched so far 
most felt structured like almost like a twilight like the the yes. end of this episode is very twilight zoning yes in terms of like especially cause like you have her like defeated at the end and like all of her you know mistakes that she has she's gotten her come up it's for all her her mistakes that she has made and we we are sort of panning away we cut back to uh the crypt keeper who's who's decided to give himself a cosmetic treatment to try to get rid of his wrinkles even though he is, a, in fact, also an old skeleton. Uh, so that's that's this episode. Um, I think it. I guess we can go into like our 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 judgment of it. I I realize that every episode we have had so far, I've given my middle grade to. So I think I'm going to drop that. I think I'm going to force myself to go like old style, thumbs up, thumbs down. Is this one a keeper or a stinker? Is this one one that's worth watching, worth going after, or is this one best worth forgetting? Um, Ceci, why don't you go first? Keeper or stinker for this one? Sure. Uh, I think I like this more than you did. And I, I think to me it's a keeper. Um, probably for the same uh, reason you just mentioned, which is that this feels very much like a Twilight Zone episode. And I I really dig that type of storytelling. And mm-hmm. I think it's slightly different than other episodes that I haven't liked as much, like uh, The Cat is Dead. <laughs> what was the name of that sure. episode? Um Cat is real dead. <laughs> yeah. Dig that the, cat. The cat I is think. extremely dead, dude. Yeah. And then the very first episode, which is the man who was death. All those episodes to me feel a little bit in the end like so what? It doesn't feel like there's sure. like a, a moral to the story or or if there's a moral it's just kind of vague. And it just kind of ends like, sure, the story kind of comes to a conclusion, but they just kind of leave me feeling like just a little underwhelmed in terms of the, I guess, the whole package of the story put together. And this one I liked because it follows more of that structure of the Twilight Zone where you're kind of put in this weird situation and you end up having this kind of fate that is not quite what you expected, but still kind of puts you in like an eerie type of position and Mm -hmm. gives you a, a little bit of an eerie feeling. Because... Especially since they, they the story does come to a conclu- conclusion, but if you think about, okay, she says she's 21, and now she has aged and looks 80, does that mean that she is going to continue to age and going to die much younger? Or is she going to live a normal, regular life, but just right, continue she's to... she's an extremely long time as an 80-year-old person. Yeah, and what are the implications of that? And I think I find that interesting... Right. And so I like that the episode went there and leaves you with that think about um while still resolving the main 
story. And also, like I said, I really digged uh, the, or really dug the whole 80s music um, vibe. This episode is extremely late 80s. Yes, I uh, I really liked it. Um, well, cool. I do not like this episode. <laughs> like, I I appreciate all that you're saying. Um, I think that the 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 thing that I will most co-sign to what you just said is that I think that this episode, like the sort of moral implication of this episode, definitely like it's something that you can look at and say, okay, um, I th- there's there's sort of this it it plays into the old EC Comics morality tale thing of like. This woman makes all these mistakes and at the end, all of her mistakes add up to her own comeuppance. And she realizes that like, there's no, it's, it's almost like this thing of like, there's no easy way to like buy class or something. Like there's no way to like, just cheat your way to a better life or something. Well, and here, here's one thing that you might maybe agree with me on. And this is that we both love, the Michael Bay oeuvre, Pain and Gain. Yeah, which, uh, it's uh, the man's masterpiece, I would argue. Yes, in which he makes the argument that you there's no shortcuts to the American dream, to literally quote piece of dialogue from that from the movie. Right. And yeah. this is what this episode is trying to do in, in a sort of way, is that she had everything she needed to make her dreams come true, but she just she wanted to take a shortcut. And the only the only difference between before and after is that she had ten thousand dollars to spend to make herself look pretty. But she didn't need ten thousand dollars for that. And if she did need ten thousand dollars for that, she could have got that through other means like she didn't have to take a shortcut and i i don't know i found that interesting yeah no i think that i think the pain and gain um reference point definitely uh underlines that pretty well i also just think she's bad in this episode <laughs> like i think i i think that that's one one of those sort of insert like the moment that she starts talking i'm like what's going on i think she gets better i will say i think she gets better once the episode goes along i think once she settles into the panicked old lady stuff. I think she is better, but all that stuff leading up to that is like, uh, and I don't think that the episode, I think, so there's that whole aspect to it. I think that, you know, and this is just also going to just be product of its time. And, and this show is inherently kind of trashy. I'm, I'm coming to realize as we're watching more of it. I think that there are some episodes coming up that I've heard of, that that aren't quite as um, scummy, but like this episode is super sc- like the way it sort of presents and talks about sex work, the way that it shows this woman who who does like seek this upward bow, but like it, like you're saying, like there's no like easy easy path towards the American dream, uh, which I think is is a theme that this this show is going for. But I think it's also like it it's not <laughs> the version of the American dream that she is seeking is also so shallow. like like it's not a mistake that her last name is vain. And it's not a mistake that like she is 
stuck like she's like i don't care i don't know anything about this guy except for i think he's good looking and he's rich and that's what i want and i think it just doesn't cast her i don't think she's i guess here's my thing i don't find her especially sympathetic character and neither and i don't think that's like a necessity for a good story like the guys in pan and gain are definitely not sympathetic by any means but there's a a um nastiness to that that i think this doesn't quite get to to earn me being like oh that's you know interesting or some way like she she is just i think she is her depiction i read more as uh misogynistic than thoughtful i guess is where i come down on that yeah Um, it's definitely a story of a woman written by a man yes written by a man and directed by her husband um, but I think that she ultimately, I think between issues that I have with her individual performance and some of those like weird inklings I have around the edges of the story, um, I just have a hard time focusing on those, those positive aspects, like the way that it's plotted, like the way that it is, uh, presenting these ideas about success and paths for success and like people trying to find shortcuts I think those are all interesting topics. I, again, I love pain and gain. I love things that like explore these ideas, but um, I just don't think this episode, especially like hits those themes as strongly as it could otherwise. I mean, but I appreciate your um, analysis of it. And definitely like, I will say coming, coming into this conversation, I was coming in real hot for this episode and like talking about it. I have found more things in it that I enjoy. Um, than initially like I thought I would, but uh still at the end of the day it's a stinker for me. Sorry, Howard. I will say, for it not being a guy who does a lot of horror, I think this episode's perfectly finely shot. It 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 is weird. Like it has a uh fashion montage in the middle of it. And the most it, and I and I agree with you that I think the scene that has the most verve in it is the party scene. Like that's the scene where he seems most in the pocket of like, here's the mood I'm going for. Here's, you know, I'm trying to get chemistry between these two people. And I think that all works pretty well. Um, but I think that the, the lead up to that uh, really makes it hard for me to like buy into the rest of it personally. So. Moving on. Uh, did you have for our award-winning segment, casting the crypt? Did you have any? Uh, this is where we look at the characters in this film and like we see if there's any actors we think could be slotted into a modern remake of this that we think would uh, do well. I only have one for this one, but I, I didn't know if you had any that you had thought of for this one. Yeah, not a lot of people came to mind. I tried at least to think about who could play uh, Sylvia. In, mm-hmm. in modern times with uh, current actresses. And I couldn't really think of someone young enough that I liked, that I thought that I could see play this. Uh, mm-hmm. But the person that did come to mind is Allison Williams uh, from Get Out. She plays the, oh, the girlfriend. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's kind of wild to say, like, you know, she's, a little old for the part well if 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 the part is supposed to be a 21 year old girl um i don't know 
Um, yeah. But if if they want yeah. to make the character a little older, I think she'd be perfect. But again, it's it's wild that you even have to say that. Mm-hmm. I think if they just well, yeah. didn't well, mention I mean, I that, an age for the character, it could work. I think, you know, how old was Leah Thompson when she made this? No, I'm going to look that up real quick. So she's born, I think I looked this up at some point and then forgot. So Leah Thompson was born 1961. So she is 1989. She's in her late 20s, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, you she could then. Uh, right play this no problem i mean i i don't think that leah thompson in this comes off as a 21 year old i will say that <laughs> like i don't i don't i don't think she like necessarily comes off as like old like she does like you know she obviously has sort of at this point you know, like fairly uh youthful appearance but like she's not uh yeah she she Definitely comes off as a little bit more mature than 21 in her performance. Yeah. And like I said, um, I guess they have to give some sort of number for reference. So right. That, just so you know. Yeah. But I still think you don't really need to know the exact age of the character. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a, that's a good casting. I actually, I didn't have a casting for that character. So I, I appreciate you did. The only one that jumped out at me was the uh, shopkeeper, the pawnbroker. I thought, uh, <laughs> for whatever reason, that guy was giving me big um, David Keckner energy. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, I, I think he would, he would be really, he'd have a fun with a role like that. Um, for folks who don't know, he's um, champ in the Anchorman movies. He was on The Office. Like, he's, he's just kind of, he's this sort of like, Typically fairly boisterous characters, but he he has sort of the um, energy that I think the pawnbroker carries in this episode. So I think he would be good at that role. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I right. uh, I have a recommendation corner. Uh, oh sure, yeah, I'd love to. I don't. I do. I do not have one. Yeah, off the top of my head, but if you have a recommendation, for sure, it's not a movie or a TV show. It's okay. a website. It's called poolside.fm. And if you enjoyed the music in that uh, 1980s, what did you call if it? If you want to have party? your own 1980s Coke party. Yes. If you are looking for that vibe, poolside.fm, it's a website where you can completely just live out that mood. Uh, they, it plays music and then it plays videos to go with the music. And it's just that whole mood. Well, as we are all living in these unprecedented times, if you need to have your own party for one, Poolside FM is there for you. For sure. All right. Well, cool. Thanks for the very, very helpful recommendation. I'll definitely be checking that out myself. Um, uh, but with that, I think uh, we can close out. Uh, thank you, as always, to Molly Fancher for our intro and outro music, Mr. N. You can check them out on Bandcamp. You can check us out on Twitter at at Crip Speakers. Um, you can also find me individually at at J the Cake Thief, J A Y the Cake Thief. And I'm at Sussy Korea on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and uh, until next time, uh, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. Steve. bye.